Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our present Pope, Pope Benedict XVI, has said in his first encyclical that the Church has three basic tasks. First, it prays. That includes, of course, the sacraments, liturgy, all the forms of worship. Secondly, it proclaims the gospel. This involves all the teaching and evangelistic work of the church. Thirdly, it cares for the poor. I don't know about you, but I found that a very uh, clarifying, just to see the three basic things the church does. Worships, it proclaims, and it cares for the poor. Everything else we do can fit under those headings. What I'm doing right now is under that second heading of proclaiming and evangelizing. Well, the three readings for today, I think, hit these three themes very clearly. The first reading is taken from the legal or the moral section of the book of Exodus. It's where all the details of the covenant are laid out. It's a section of Exodus we probably pass over too much, but we shouldn't. It's when God's laying out for the Israelites exactly what he wants them to do as his people. Here we find this extraordinary command, which is utterly typical of the Bible, to care for the weakest and the most vulnerable in the society. First this, those who are aliens, strangers, foreigners in the land. And see, that meant unable fully to flourish, God says, care for them. Now, why? Because you, too, were once aliens in the land of Egypt. You see how important that is, friends. What's the usual attitude toward those who are different? Well, we don't like them. We're resentful or we're fearful. And so we keep them at bay. What's the command of God? Precisely through compassion to find that point of identification. Aliens, strange people with strange tongues and language and customs. Yeah, but you too at one time were a strange people in a strange land. You too were once looked upon as foreigners and outsiders. Compassion, to suffer with, is the mark of the biblical style. Notice too how different this is from the other cultures of the time. When read against the historical backdrop, this is extraordinary novelty. Foreigners around the world were the objects of of contempt. They could be enslaved. They were simply barbarians. That's how the Greeks referred to anyone who didn't speak Greek. They were simply barbarians. In many cultures, they were seen as subhuman. So Aristotle says a foreigner captured in war could and should be enslaved. But then there's this revolutionary Israelite teaching, grounded, as I say, in compassion. Once you were aliens in the land of Egypt, don't simply see the outsider as strange, different, threatening. 
but see yourself as connected to him or to her. Then we hear this. Care for the widows and the orphans. That is to say, for those who have no one to care for them. Remember now, we're talking about ancient times. There was no social safety net. There were no great social programs to care for those who were unable to care for themselves. Here, a widow or orphan means someone really without family. Think of someone maybe without children, maybe without a lot of uh, relatives in the, in the secondary uh, reach of the family. Suddenly widowed, suddenly orphaned. That meant no visible means of support. That meant that person was on the street begging for food. The God of Israel says, you must care precisely for those who are least able to care for themselves. Look, in both the ancient world and the modern world, there's a very different attitude very often. You know, a dog-eat-dog world. Those that can't make it, well, tough for them. Those who can't compete adequately in the sort of Darwinian world, well, tough. The Bible speaks a very different language. Care precisely for those who cannot care for themselves. Their faces look out at you. Their voices cry out to you. And you must respond. Then this, if these weak people are ignored, God becomes angry. I think I've spoken to you before about that beautiful biblical symbol of God's anger. Don't think of it primarily in emotional terms, as though God falls into a, an, into a snit. God's anger is a symbol of God's passion to set things right. God is compassionate with the poor, the widow, the orphan. God identifies with their suffering. And God burns, therefore, with a passion to set things right when they are ignored. This passion for the marginalized, for the poor, for the hungry, for the widow and the orphan runs right through the biblical tradition, comes right up into the social teaching of the Catholic Church. There's that haunting line from St. Ambrose. If you have two coats in your closet, one belongs to you. The other belongs to the man who has no coat. That could come right out of this section of the book of Exodus. Friends, the church cares for the poor. Who are they? I don't mean this abstractly now. I mean, who are they in your life? Who are the widows and orphans right now? Who are the aliens and strangers right now? How many coats and shirts are in your closet right now? How many belong to you? Now, in the second reading, we see the second of the Pope's great emphases, the proclamation of the faith. The text, by the way, here is the earliest Christian text we have, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, written sometime around the opening years of the 50s of the first century. It's the first thing that we know of that Paul wrote, the earliest text that we have. Here's what the apostle tells the Thessalonians. He says, you become a model to all those in the surrounding country. And they've done so in the measure that they've received the faith with joy, despite all obstacles. Good. It was difficult to accept the Christian faith. 
Paul says you had to turn from idols. You had to turn from the gods that you knew. Undoubtedly, these first Christians were subject to ridicule, to social ostracization. I'm sure there were obstacles, even even direct persecution. But they turned from false gods to the true God with joy. And because of their joy, they became magnets to those around them. Paul says that your joyful acceptance of the faith, despite obstacles, has edified and inspired those around you. It's made you, Thessalonians, very effective evangelists. See, too often we think of evangelization as some program the church launches. Oh, I guess, you know, priests and bishops are fussing about evangelization. Evangelization belongs to the very essence of the life of the church. Yes, in its formal teaching and preaching, but every baptized person is an evangelist. How do you evangelize? Sometimes through explicit speech. Sometimes by defending, explaining the faith in the face of questions. But you know what the very best form of evangelization is? Joy. It's exactly what Paul puts his finger on here to the Thessalonians. It's been said in the spiritual tradition that joy is the great flag of the Holy Spirit. It's the sign the Holy Spirit's with you. And therefore, by your, listen again to Paul, joyful acceptance of the faith, that you're joyful and people know it because you're a Christian, that is the best way for you to evangelize. Oh, keep my faith to myself. No, no, no. That's never been true for biblical people. Don't impose it, but you propose the faith precisely through your joy. That's how we evangelize. Finally, the third of the Pope's great emphases. The church worships the true God. That's what the church does. It worships the true God. I said to you before, I think, that worship comes from the the terms worth-ship. What do you hold of highest value? What's of highest worth to you? Well, the church is that community of people that says, God, the true God, the God and Father of Jesus Christ, is the one that we hold in highest worth. Look now at the gospel. The Pharisees, as usual, eager to trip Jesus up or to embarrass him, pose the question. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus gives this clear and unambiguous response. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, look, we could give this a ethical interpretation, especially when read in light of of what, what Jesus identifies as the second great commandment, to love your neighbor, but I want to give it a different stress. To speak of the love of the Lord with the entirety of one's heart, mind, and soul is to speak first of worship. See, that's what worship is. It means announcing, more than announcing, it means expressing with your whole being your love for God, 
in mind, heart, soul. What's of highest value? What do you love the most? Well, you express that precisely in your worship. What in your gut is your life about? That's what worship refers to. You see now, by the way, why the church keeps insisting on the necessity of worship. Oh, these old laws the church imposes on us. No, 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 no. Coming to Mass on a regular basis is essential for the health of the soul. As you express with mind, heart, everything in you, what you hold of highest value, that will in turn determine everything else in your life. The first great task of the church is this, to worship God because it rectifies and orders the life of the church. Just as you, when you worship properly, you become internally rectified, internally ordered. Everything in you falls into place around this great act of worship. So with the church. When we stand together before God and we say with all our minds, hearts, and souls, we give you the highest value, then we become straightened out. So, keep these three readings in mind. Keep the Pope's three tasks in mind. The church essentially cares for those in need. It announces the faith primarily through its joy. And it worships God. Everything else is commentary. Everything else is a footnote. In these three basic moves, we are the church of Jesus Christ. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you.